Pastor is kind of giving us a glimpse that he likes Gideon a lot. Well, I've got a favorite in the Old Testament too. His name is Nehemiah. I like this guy. He is a leader, born leader, creative, genius, just like me. Not exactly. But I like him. I like him because of, of the honesty that he has and what he accomplished. And he had a group of people around him kept saying, you can't do it. And he said, oh, yes, God can. So I'd like for you to draw your attention to Nehemiah chapter 1. And I'll be giving reading at verse number 2. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord, our, the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those with whom obey his commands. Let your ear be attentive to your eyes open, and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wicked towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place. I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this servant and to the prayers of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. That little insertion at the end of all that, I was cupbearer to the king, is very important. In fact, all these scriptures are important, but it shows his, his type of prayer that he prayed. News came to him that Jerusalem walls had been torn down, the gates had been burnt, and the people had been scattered, and the people were in trouble. What did he do? He prayed. He wept. When bad news comes to you, what do you do? You pray, and sometimes you weep. I had just entered the pastorate in a church in Oklahoma, I met a wonderful family that first Sunday. Well, matter of fact, I met a lot of wonderful people that first Sunday. And they marched their four little boys in front of me and their little girl. They were so proud. She was the youngest. They had waited on her for a long time. She died Wednesday. 
What do you say? What do you do? Do you rejoice? No, you weep. You're sad. You hurt. I remember driving up to the street, and a young man came out of his house. I'd only been there a few days. No book, no teaching, nothing was fit for the moment. And he threw himself into my arms, and we cried. Didn't know what else to do. Bad news rocks you. It sets you back. It should. If your heart is a little bit tender. Nehemiah got to receive the news of what had happened in Jerusalem. They had been moving back in, the Jews had, and the Israelites. They came, were coming back in and rebuilding. And the wall was a great symbol because it meant strength. It meant that this was their dwelling place, and this is places of inhabitation for them. And, and most of all, it, it reflected to their enemies that they were strong and they were united, but it was gone. And Nehemiah wept over that. And he prayed. He prayed a prayer that was pretty outstanding. He talked about the covenant of God keeping his promise of how the people of Israel had sinned and broken and done all kinds of wrong things, and they were incorrect. Four months later, in chapter 2, we find out that he's in the presence of the king, and the king notices that he is sad four months after the prayer. Four months of keeping all that to himself and thinking about how that God could put it together and how he could be used of God and all those things, and finally he was in the presence of the king, and the king said, I see that you're sad. You do not want your cupbearer to be sad. If you know anything about the cupbearer, he is the one who protected the king from food that may have been poisoned. He got to eat first. And he sampled everything. And then it was presented to the king. And if Nehemiah didn't die, the king had a good meal. You don't let somebody that you don't know do that kind of work for you. You get a trusted friend. You get someone that, that, that is full of integrity and honesty and, and that their life is one life of walking with the Lord. And you know that you can count on that person. They wouldn't ever dare give you a glass of wine that was tainted or a cup of something that the expiration date had expired on. Just a chance that it may upset your stomach. Because if it did, Nehemiah would die. The king had that kind of power. So the king asked him, he said, why are you sad? And he told him that where his ancestors were in the city, the, the walls had been destroyed and the gates had been burnt. And notice this. The king says, what do you want? Now, this king was not in love with the Israelites. If you read the book of Ezra, you'll find out in there that the conspiracy to stop the work of the Israelites, he was heavily involved in, and he put an end to some of their building. But not this time. Perhaps it was because of who Nehemiah was and the relationship that they had. 
But he said, what is it that you want? Sometimes God uses weird situations to accomplish his work. And stranger than that is sometimes he uses different people to accomplish his work. And this time he used a king that didn't love his people, but he loved Nehemiah. Our church decided that it would like to build a garage. So they said, you got to go to the county seat and got to get a permit. And I said, okay. So I drove up to Huntington, Indiana and went into the courthouse and found where I needed to go get a permit. And the guy came up to the counter and he said, can I help you? And I said, well, I sure hope so. He said, what are you doing? What do you need? Well, we'd like to build a two-car garage down on our church parking lot and tell me what I need to do. He said, well, you, first thing you got to do, you got to have a drawing. I said, you got a piece of paper? And he gave me a piece of paper. I said, well, it's going to be a rectangle. 12 feet wide, 24 feet long. There's going to be a big door here and one on the side. Will that do? And he took it back and he stamped it, approved, put his signature on it. And he said, sign it. Then he gave me four stakes, and he said, stake it out on your property and put a rope around it. I said, okay. Permit in hand. Oh, he charged me $10 for it. And off I went. I staked it out, put the string around it. Neighbor guy whom I'd never seen come out of his house and said, what you doing? Going to build a garage. Can't do it. I said, have a good day. Within a month, we had the garage built, and my car was in it. Isn't it funny how God does things sometimes when people say you can't do it? It shouldn't be done. And that takes us into the next step in Nehemiah's life. They came to him, and the king said, what do you need? He says, I need letters of introduction, references. So they gave him letters of introduction where that he could pass through the country with protection all around him and said, oh, if it pleases the king, would you give me a letter so that I can get lumber? And they did. He gave him the letter and he left. Not only did he do that, but he sent his guards and military with him for protection. Fantastic. Wonderful. I, I, I just love how seeing how that God takes and puts these things in place. Then there was opposition. They never taught me this in college, that there would be those who would oppose the work of the Lord inside the church. Never knew it was possible. There was Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Samaritan army, they all started attacking Nehemiah because they had heard that he was doing something great for the Israelites, and how dare them do something great for the Israelites, and don't you know that they need to be in submission and kept that way? And we are the ones that do it. They wrote letters to Nehemiah, chastising him over his work. <clears throat> Have you ever gotten a letter? I was 26 years old when I took my first pastorate. 30 people. 
The Sunday school class that I teach here is about the same size. Can you imagine that? I got a letter in a week, two pages. Didn't have fonts back then, but if it was a font, it would probably be about like a six or a seven. You'd need a magnifying glass to read it. Old page, front page, back page, second page, next page. No signature. See, cowards don't want to own up to stuff. The devil doesn't want cowards to put their name to stuff. Cowards will always do it the cheap, sleazy, crummy way. I took the letter, I sat down on the post office steps, and I read it. And I'm not, I'm not too real smart, but I thought, maybe there's something in here, some kind of constructive criticism. Being 26 years old, maybe something I can use. So I read it and put their address on it. I walked by their home on the way to, back to my home because I had the address. The next week, another letter bragging about their intelligence and their great wisdom and my lack of it. Third week, another letter. I asked them to stop writing the letter because they were hurtful and harmful and that they were against what I wanted to do and what God wanted to do for the kingdom. And see, what they wanted to do was they didn't want the alcoholic to come to church. They didn't want the single parent to come to church. They didn't want all those squirrely kids to come to church. They didn't want me to come to church. Most of all, they didn't want Jesus to come to church. And that's what the letter was all about. Say, what did you do with the letter? With my great wisdom, I stapled it to the church bulletin board. All three of them. It was a good thing it was 1976. Because if it was 2023, I'd have made them worldwide famous. And they sat and they scrawled in the church with every kind of anguish that they could have. And they were so, so against everything. Thirty people and one like that. I don't know what percentage that is, but it's kind of large amongst 30 people. And see, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, and Gresham they didn't just keep this amongst themselves. They started rallying up folks to get against Nehemiah. And they stood outside the wall and they mocked him and laughed at him. Hey, they said, how in the world are you building this stuff up and, and the foxes can tear it down when they run up the walls? And all the things that they were doing. I think Nehemiah was kind of like this. Can't hear you. We're building it. Can't hear you. We just added another foot to the wall. Can't hear you. God is doing amazing things. God is working. The alcoholic did come to church. The town trunk drunk did come to the church. The single parents did come to the church. 
the man's family that his, five, that his wife left him and five kids, he did come to the church. Because Jesus warned him there. I warned him there. And all the time the letter writer was, can't do it that way. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't build that building. Can't do it. The weakest person that there is is me. But I know a God who can, and he does, and he will, and he'll work in mighty and wondrous ways. Nehemiah got to busy organizing things. Everybody pitched in, certain section of the wall, certain things to do, and they built the wall. <sighs> 52 days. Unbelievable. 52 days. They built this wall that had been destroyed and the gates that was burned. This is kind of all that I've shared with you so far has been kind of preliminary to the best part of this. And the best part of it comes in chapter 8. Seventy years they had been in captivity. Seventy years they had lost the language that was so precious to them. Seventy years had passed, and this happened. In chapter 8, my translation, the Bill Taylor translation says, go get Ezra. Tell him to bring his Bible and get up here and read it. And Ezra read from daylight to noon. Can you imagine sitting in church that long? Ezra read from the, from the scriptures and in their, their language, but they could not all understand what was being said. And so Nehemiah and the priests, they went amongst the people and they, they started sharing with them what was being said and what Ezra was reading to them. And they started to weep and to mourn. And we see Nehemiah kind of perplexed in, in all of this, where that he is, he is saying, you should be joyful. Be joyful. Matter of fact, he sent, he sent them home one time to eat and be merry and come back and we'll try this all over again. And Ezra then, he walked God up and he opened up the word of God and he read to them. And they got it. Ezra read to them about how that God had parted the Red Sea and the Israelites had walked over on dry ground. How that God had done these miraculous and wonderful and tremendous things for the nation of Israel. And some of these people hearing it for the very first time, they began to weep and they began to cry and they were mournful. They began to repent for what they had done. And their weeping and the mourning became joyful and they rejoiced. One author wrote, said this was revival at Watergate and truly it was God's people in reflection of all the things that God had done for them, they repented and they were restored back to his presence. Oh, how sometimes we forget the mighty acts and mighty things that God has done for us in our lives. i tell you, tell you one more story. I tell lots of stories. I preach practical theology. I'm, I'm not too sharp on 
all the other stuff. But I want to know how it's lived. And that's been kind of the direction that God has directed my life in. General Assembly is taking place in Indianapolis this morning for the Church of the Nazarene. Years ago, I attended it several times, and it always have a joy and a pleasure to do it. My background is not a good one. I was a sinner saved by grace. Somebody asked me, he said, when you first came into the church, what happened? I said, we scared them to death. They didn't want us. Didn't want us. Why didn't they want you? Because they were fearful. Nothing happened like this in a long, 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 long time. Jim Kokenhauer was to speak. And I saw the schedule and I told my wife who was born, <laughs> almost born on the steps of the church of the Nazarene, I said, we're going to go hear Jim speak. Jim was from Columbia, Ohio. He was a businessman, served on the general board of the Church of the Nazarene, matter of fact, for many years. And I, I knew Jim. Then I saw the subheading. It said, from a bar to a church. He gave the address. I spent many a nights in that bar, not the church. Jim was an awful lot like Nehemiah, had power, prestige, resources, unlimited access to many, many different things. And when he addressed the crowd, he said, I was going by that place, that bar. He said, I felt God's Holy Spirit speak to me about doing something in there. So after a while, he said, I stopped and I went in. Introduced himself to the owners and the manager. He said, we'd like to, we'd like to play live music in here. Would you, would you like to have live music? I said, yeah, we'd like that. His boy played in the band. In fact, he played with the district superintendent's son. A group called Deliverance. Had them in my church many times. He said, okay, I'll schedule a group to come in and play. And they did. Bartender got saved. The owner got saved. His wife got saved. Their families got saved. I mean, people were saying it can't happen. Can't do it. God said he can do it. Can do it. Can make that change. That little place where I first started out, in about two years, you had to get there earlier. You didn't get a seat. Nothing I did. It was all that God did. The bar tender even attended our church. It was amazing what God had done. And all the time, the letter writer said, you can't do it. You can't do it. And see, the big issue there was I wasn't about to succumb to the letter writer. Would I have stapled the letters on a board today? Eh, perhaps not. But I don't ask anybody 
<clears throat> to walk in my shoes. I'd do some things, and when I'd go home, my wife had already heard about it. And she'd go, oh, Bill. I did it. I admit it. 100%. It was me. I walked down the street from that little church, knocked on this little house. Little lady came to the, young lady came to the door. And she looked out and she says, I know you. And I took a couple of looks. And I, oh, your brother and I worked together. Yeah. And back in 1967, you were so drunk you spent Christmas with us. And you don't even remember. I said, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about somebody who can change your life. And she got saved. And her brother and I were still friends. Not bosom friends, but we're friends. See, the devil says you can't do it. Carnal people tell you that you can't do it. Hard-hearted church people tell you it can't be done. But God says, oh, yes, it can. Yes, it can. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who died, not sparing his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What will bring any, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long, and we consider a sheep to be slaughtered. No, is the answer. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor any, or anger, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The question for us is, what is God asking you to do, me to do? And to do it. To do it. It's a wonderful experience of seeing how that God changes our lives to do his will and what he wants done. You need to fight for your family. You need to fight for your church. You need to be strong. You need to be courageous. You need to be a Nehemiah. And do those things. He's my kind of man. I hope he, hope he is yours. Hope you have a Nehemiah in your life. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy that we have, for the experiences that we have, for the changes that you make in our lives. 
for your wonderful gift of forgiveness and your wonderful gift of cleansing and our reliance upon you. Bless these people. May we all gain new knowledge from your holy word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.